Habakkuk chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 33 because it kind of picks up our theme this month leading into Easter of Jesus, a friend of sinners. Luke 7, 33. It goes like this. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is justified by all her children. Verse 36 in our text for the morning. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman it is that is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he was forgiven little, loved little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, as we dig into this text this morning, as we consider what it says and what it means and what it means to each one of us individually, how we apply it, how we live it. I pray pray that You would give us understanding into all these things. Father, I ask for us as a church, I know that we are in an Easter season and we want to focus well on the cross that is to come, the empty tomb that is to follow that. Would You prepare our hearts and our minds for that? We would be ready, O Savior, to remember the cost of our sin and then your vindication on the third day. In your name we pray. Amen. She woke up that morning with a lot more hope than she had felt in a long, long time. Because she'd heard stories about a traveling rabbi who would gather great crowds. He'd lay his hands on them and heal people. He had a message unlike any other, a message of forgiveness, a message 
without condemnation, but with, with healing. She heard about a leper that he came in contact with, and the leper said, if you're willing, you, will, you can make me well. And he said, I am willing. Be well. And she thought, who is this man who can put his hands on someone that is unclean and make them clean? Who can do that? It, it, it's not lawful. It's not right. And yet, this is what he does. And he doesn't get contaminated. Instead, he brings cleanness to the person. And so she woke up that morning with more hope than she felt in a long time and made her way to the synagogue and heard the teacher for herself. Discovered that she is the lost sheep and that he is the shepherd looking for the sheep. That he offers full forgiveness of all sins, a full pardon. That God would accept her. She takes it. She repents. She receives that forgiveness. After the synagogue teaching is over, as is the custom of the day, the Pharisees would always invite over the guest speaker. This is how they do it. And Simon had that task that day. Simon the Pharisee. And so he gave the invitation to Jesus to come to his house. And Jesus coming over, they would come over and they would uh, recline at a table. I know we don't do this. I know it's a little bit odd to think about. But, but the idea would be you would come together and, and you would be reclining towards the table with your head towards the, maybe perhaps like a round table, with your feet as far away from the table as possible. Everybody's feet are like, you know, heading outward from the table. And, you know, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't paparazzi in that day, but, you know, everybody loves a good celebrity. And so people could come into the house, poor people, common people, and they would come into the house so that they could hear the conversation of the popular people sitting at the table. The celebrities are talking. Everyone else is gathered around to hear it. And if you were poor, maybe you could get some of the, some of the leftover scraps because as, as you know, it's been said, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And so the people are in the room. They're gathered around. They're listening to the conversation between a well-known Pharisee and maybe an even better known rabbi who's been traveling around. And they're just listening. She comes to the doorway of the room. And she wonders if she should walk in. But she made this plan up. She decided what she was going to do, and so she enters. And the moment that she enters, she realizes she does not belong there. She clasps the alabaster jar of perfume around her neck. Alabaster coming from Egypt containing an expensive ointment. And she enters. And she steps quietly into the side of the room with all the people. And she positions herself somewhat a parallel to Jesus' feet. And she thinks, how am I going to do this? How is this going to work? And she looks down and she sees that Jesus' feet are not clean. No one has washed them. And it wasn't her plan. The plan was just bring the ointment, do what you came to do, get out of there. But instead she goes by his feet and sees that all of the dirt and the dung and all the stuff from the day are caked onto his feet. Which is an insult. 
she begins to weep. And as her tears are falling, they're falling onto the, the dirty feet of Christ. And she realizes she brought no towel. Again, this was not the plan. And she thinks to herself, but I have hair. And although it is culturally inappropriate for a woman to let down her hair, it shows a sign that you're loose. Everybody already knows that she's loose. So she loosens her hair and begins to dry his feet with her hair. And she snaps open the small neck of the alabaster jar of perfume, pours it, and the odor fills the room. It's a beautiful scent. Everyone catches it. A servant is about to step in and say, you've got to get out of here. This is not going well. But Simon raises his hand and wants to see what happens next. Will this famous rabbi, who some people think is a prophet, shoo her away? It doesn't happen. Now, in truth, Simon wasn't really showing hospitality that day. The Pharisees had already decided earlier in chapter 5, if you're keeping track of the story, that they were going to kill Jesus. That was already decided. His brothers had already issued a verdict. And he knew the verdict. This man is a blasphemer. He claims to be God. And he forgives sin. And we can't tolerate him. And so you can see Simon and look in his eyes as he's making a mental note. I can't wait to report on this. That he would let a sinful woman come in contact with him. Violating all the rules. He let her take down her hair. And show the kind of immoral woman that she is. This this sinner. We don't say they're... We don't say it out loud what they do. Jesus, showing that he actually is a prophet, knows exactly what Simon's thinking. And he says, I got something to tell you, Simon. And Simon's thinking, I'm in for it now. He's already heard the stories about how well Jesus can answer uh, problems and moral dilemmas. And so he says, speak up, teacher. And a parable is told like all rabbis love to do, of two different guys that owe different sums of money. One was 50 denarii. A denarii is like a day's wages. And someone that owed 500 denarii. So think about it like this. Maybe like two months wages versus the wages of like a year and a half. And Jesus tells the story and says, the, the creditor, the person, that, the banker, the person that gave him the money said, I'm forgiving both your debts. They're clear. You're in the clear. Which one will love the banker more? And Simon knows he's in trouble. But he's got to answer the question. He's got to answer correctly. That's just what you've got to do. And he says, I guess, I suppose, the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. <laughs> you've judged right, Jesus says. Now think about this. Um, imagine that you have a car and a house and you owe payments on both. It's a small car didn't cost you that much, but you still have a loan. And you have a house, and it's a big house, and you have a loan. And, and the banker, this would never, ever happen. The banker would never come to you and say, I'm canceling those loans. But let's suppose it happened. Canceling the car loan, pretty sweet day for that, right? Canceling the house mortgage? Oh, my goodness. Like, this is good news. I mean, you're having a celebration over that. Let's be honest. And Jesus says, who loves the banker more at that moment? Yeah, 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 I know. The one that got the year and a half wages back to him. I get it. And then Jesus says this. He, 
Simon knows he's already in trouble. He already knows that he would fall into the category of the 50 denarii guy and the woman is the 500 denarii woman. You know, like he gets it. He knows where it's going. But then Jesus totally turns the tables even more on him and he says this. When I came in here, you didn't give me a kiss, but she's kissing my feet. When I came to your house, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointing my feet. You didn't wash me. Her tears have been falling this whole time. You didn't do any of that. And Jesus basically is like, you have insulted me. You haven't shown the basic hospitality. Imagine someone coming to your house and you don't take their coat. Only this is worse. You know? They come to your house, they're carrying your coat. Come on in, sit down, and they sit in the living room and they're like holding this big old winter coat beside them. And you do nothing for them. But this is worse. You've shown no hospitality. And this woman has done everything. And then Jesus makes his point. The one who is forgiven much, loves much. The one who is forgiven little, loves little. Now listen, I've been reading... um, I've been reading bloggers and writers and pastors and, and, and people that are talking about how Jesus is a friend of sinners. I've been reading it. And I'll read some people that, that almost talk about Jesus like he's the hippie Jesus. That's like, you know, I'm the friend of sinners. You're okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. You know, you sin, it's all right. No big deal. I don't think that's going on here. But then I read about another kind of Jesus sometimes, and some people and some pastors say that Jesus is really primarily friends with sinners who receive his teaching and accept him and come to him with love and repentance. That he's a friend to those kind of sinners. I've read this. And so maybe you've wondered to yourself at some point, what kind of a sinner is Jesus friends to? And I think the answer goes something like this out of this story. Jesus is a friend of attracted sinners and it's antagonistic sinners. He's friends of all kinds of sinners. Now, the woman is one of those attracted sinners. She's heard the message of forgiveness and wants to be with Jesus. She wants to show love to Him. Simon, he just has to go through the motions and you kind of get the feeling that, that Jesus is not the guest of honor in Simon's house. Simon is, you know. Kind of like, Jesus, you get to be with me. That's something. Like, you kind of get that feeling. There's nothing about Simon that's like on Jesus' side. He is antagonistic. So, what kind of a friend is Jesus to sinners? He's a friend to the ones that are attracted to him and the ones that don't want anything to do with him. And maybe you will find in your life as well that you will have people in your life that you're friends with and they want nothing to do with spiritual things. Keep being their friend, they need you in their life. The Simons of the world needed Jesus in their life. I don't know if Simon ever gave his life to Christ. We have no idea. We're not told. But you have a Simon in your life. Keep him in your life if you can. Keep being there. Keep being a friend. You're going to have other friends that are open to spiritual things. And they want to hear more. And they want to think about you know, who God is. And, and is He really there? They want, to fit, they want to answer some of life's biggest questions. And they're open. Praise God for that. You've got to be their friend too. Invite them to Easter. You know, I, I, like bring them. They don't know Jesus yet, but they're, they're interested. But here's what I know. Jesus is a friend to all kinds of sinners. The ones that like Him, 
and the ones that don't like him and would like to kill him instead. He's friends to all. Now, what is what is the most the people that are attracted to Jesus? What is so attractive about Jesus? Like 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 why do people come to Jesus? Why did sinners love Jesus in that day? Why do we love Jesus so much as sinners ourselves? And I think the answer is forgiveness. I mean that's a simple answer. Sinners love Jesus because they can be forgiven by him. Now, Listen to this. Jesus says, The one who is forgiven little loves little, Simon. <laughs> That's basically. The one who's forgiven much loves much. Woman at my feet. Do you see that? Now, I've thought about this many times. You know, the one that's forgiven much loves much, and the one that's forgiven little loves little. And sometimes I've said to myself, and if I think I say it to myself, you probably say it to yourself too sometimes. I got. I have a very boring testimony. I I was never like down and out on the streets of Chicago, you know, with a needle hanging out of my arm. Like that was never me. I don't have those scars. And so I think to myself, I don't have that awful, awful testimony of being this God hater. I kind of grew up knowing God, loving God, in a God loving house. And so I read a passage like this, and I'm like. I guess I'm the one that's forgiven little, and then I'm going to love little. You ever thought that? Yeah? Guilty? You, you thought that? Can I tell you how untrue that thought is? Can I, can I just show you, you that have the squeaky clean testimony with squeaky clean sins, that the problem with that whole line of thinking is you're all dirty, you're all rotten. You're all terrible sinners. We have a room full of them here. You all are. Think about Simon. Simon falls into the category. You know, I think it's like this question of, am I the 50 denarii sinner or the 500 denarii sinner? How many 50s do we have here? How many 500s do we have here? And, and, and the thing is, if I say 500, every hand should go up. Every hand should go up. Because what did Jesus say about Pharisees? Uh... They are whitewashed tombs. It's like you you look good on the outside, but you have dead things inside you. You clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside of the cup. Oh, he called them vipers. You know, all sorts of things. Like his harshest, worst words for the Pharisees, because they look good on the outside, but on the inside they were dead and sinful. Their heart was far from God. So there are no 50 denarii sinners. There's none in this room that are 50. You may think you are, but I'm here to correct your thinking. Um, how will I do that? Uh, Romans 1. Romans 1. Um, maybe this will work. Uh, uh, Romans 1.28. Furthermore, they did not just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy. You're going to hell for that. You know? I mean, you are. Uh, uh, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, 
slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Kids, they disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve to be winked at by Jesus. Hey, it's okay. No problem. No. They, they know that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Revelation 22 ends with a description of the lake of fire. Um, and I'll never get over, you know, and, and well, you'll see where I'm going with this. Revelation 22:14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And we used to joke in grade school, liars go to hell, right? And that's what we'd say. And how many times have you made jokes about hell? How often do you do that? I mean, it's easy to do because you're not going there, right? But the reality is, for sinners, hell is hot. So I just, I, I, I guess my big problem with me is that I read a passage like the one we just read with the woman, and I think to myself, I'm a 50 denarii sinner. That's who I am. And then I'm reminded, oh, well, that would put me in the category with Simon. Do you want to be with Simon? Is he your buddy? Then you're a 50. You want to be the woman at Jesus' feet? Then you're 500. You're all 500. God hates your sin, hates your lies, hates your gossip, hates all the wicked things you've done in the last week. All of it. But, He forgives it. Let me say this. The only difference between the woman and Simon is this. Awareness. Awareness. Like, that's it. Number three, awareness. To love much requires awareness of the depth of your debt and the immensity of Christ's forgiveness. That's it. We're all in the 500 club. That's it. It's just about awareness. And so to love much doesn't mean that you have to go on a, on a sinning spree this week and then confess on the weekend and suddenly love is going to be big. It doesn't mean you have to have a testimony full of, of, of before Christ where you were doing all sorts of terrible things. It just means you've got to be a human being that recognizes that you're a sinner in, in the sight of a holy God who demands perfection. That's it. It's awareness. Getting, getting my Jonathan Edwards on today. Sorry, um, th- th- but you know, in reading all the reading all the rough passages, I'll take you here. Romans eight thirty-seven. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the awareness is not just of my sin, but an awareness of Christ's love. 
His forgiveness. That my sin is deep and I am the rotten sinner and yet Christ has died and He has loved me and He's transferred that forgiveness to my account and now I'm a saint. I don't have to walk in those ways anymore. And I can love Him in a huge sort of way. Um, he says to the woman, um, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's, it's worthwhile to note this, but the verb forgiven is in the perfect tense, which shows past action that has ongoing effects. I'll say it one more time. You're forgiven is a perfect verb. They call it perfect. And it means a past action that has ongoing results. So I don't think the woman came in there to get forgiveness. I think she heard Jesus before this ever happened. She received forgiveness and acting out of forgiveness came there to express love. I think the perfect tense would imply that. That she woke up that day and something happened when she heard Jesus, met Jesus, heard the message, saw healing. Something happened and it changed her. And she had to express that love for Christ. Um, So, I'm going to end with the same challenge I think the kids got today. I just want to talk for a moment about this woman's amazing love for Christ, her extravagant love for Him, and just say, can, can we do this too? Can you be the 500 denarii sinner? Can you stop joking about hell? Can you stop taking it? so not seriously, but realize you've been saved from a life and death situation, from an eternity in hell. Can, can you just realize that with me and agree with the Scripture? That's what it says about us. Our sin is deep. God's grace is more. It's covered our sin and we're forgiven. Let me just say this about the woman's love. A. It's anonymous. I mean, I, I know the people knew her when she walked in the room, I'm sure there were gasps. And, and, and there's a reason why the Pharisees said she is a sinner. But her name's not given. Maybe, maybe that's just kindness that her name's not recorded because of her well-known sin in that area. Maybe I don't need to announce my loving acts to anybody that I do for Christ. Maybe I don't need to take a picture and put it on Facebook and say this is what I did. You know, maybe it just needs to be undercover, anonymous love. Maybe it's that. Now, I know there's also times when we should, when we should let our love be seen, right? Because people see our good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. But there's times just to not proclaim it. This is the woman. Uh, B, this is wordless worship. Some of you have terrible singing voices. I know who you are. Why do you think I sit in the front? Um, <laughs> my boys are thinking it's me right now. I know they're thinking. I saw the smile. Stop it. Um, <laughs> it's wordless worship. You know, we worship God in singing, and you should sing no matter how your voice sounds. But think about all the things you can do that don't require words. You know, 
it, it, it just may be, you know, like I'll, I'll never get over, I'll never get over a few years ago watching The Passion of the Christ when it first came out, and I'm just like a mess. Like bring me up, bring me some Kleenexes because I'm just dying here with, with tears. That's enough. That's worship. The tears, realizing I should, I should die. I should be on the cross. Wordless, tearful worship. That's enough. It could be any time, all the time. It's worship. It doesn't require words at all. See, it's emotionally deep. Some of you feel dismay every time the Packers cut a well-loved player. Oh, yeah. It just gets me right there. Tugs on the heartstring. <laughs> do, 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 you, do you ever feel that, the heartstrings, when you think about your own sin and what it costs the son? I mean, does that ever get you? Does it ever grab a hold of you? This is emotionally deep worship. The sobbing. He's making a scene. I've seen people sobbing in services here during worship. I've seen it. Maybe you've seen it. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. I, I would love to think sometime this Easter season you would be moved to tears at the thought of the sinless Savior dying for you. I'd love to think that. I hope that that happens to you. You know, one of the best one of the best things I saw at Moody in a classroom, one of the best things I heard was nothing a professor said. But I remember Passion Week in one class, and the professor is going through Jesus' Passion Week, and he starts to cry. And I'm like, this is the guy giving me a bad grade on my assignments. You know, like, this is the guy that's like, he's a tough grader. He knows his Greek. He's, you know, he's tough. But I see the tears. And I'm like, that. I want that. D. It's culturally courageous. No, she should not have let down her hair. That was not right in that culture. Only the immoral, loose women do that. No, she shouldn't have even been in that same room with Jesus. I mean, the poor can and the common people can, but she didn't belong there, according to that culture. Maybe you step out and do something you don't normally do, something unexpected. And it's not what our culture would think that you would do and you just do it and you surprise everybody. Because Jesus led you to do it. It's culturally courageous. And then uh, E, and I think finally, wonderfully wasteful. Now, this story is not to be confused with another story of a woman who came in and anointed Jesus. That's a different story. But if you remember that story, if you remember how it goes, I think it's Judas that says, she should not have wasted the perfume. She should have sold it and given it to the poor. You know, that's what you do. But maybe you do something outlandish. You help somebody financially. You do something totally unexpected, and it costs you something, and you just do it. You know, I, I always thought it was ridiculous that I had youth leaders that would take a week off of vacation and go with students to a week-long conference or a trip, like. You're taking vacation days and you're not relaxing. You're staying up late at night with students. And it smells bad in those rooms. And they don't appreciate you. They want to take advantage of you. They want money for lunch from you. And, and, and you're, you're dumb. Why would you take a week and do that? There are better places to go. I know Ian's thanking me right now for saying that. 
It's wonderfully wasteful, right? Wonderfully wasteful that you don't do something for yourself but for somebody else that you cannot get anything back from. Awesome. Awesome. Whatever you do, would you let your love be extravagant this season? Worship team, come on up. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for correcting my thinking on this passage. Thank you for helping me see who I want to identify with in this story. Help me and help us be like the woman at Jesus' feet. Help us understand the depth of our sin. But help us not despair about that fact. Help us understand after that the immensity of your forgiveness to cover every single sin that we commit every single day. Your grace is so wide. It's so great. It's so deep. Thank you, Jesus, for not condemning me. Or I could not stand here and say any of this. Thank you for not condemning these people. Or we would have no reason to come together and sing. Thank you for the transformation of making us more loving. Would you help us love you in crazy, extravagant ways in response to that forgiveness? In your name we pray. Amen.